0: listening to For The Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty.
1: You're coming to you on Monday, the 12th of March. Before we get going, first and foremost, we would like to welcome a new player who just spawned into the starter area yesterday, Veronica Francis Lee. Joe will be able to give you tons of gold, tons of experience. And tons of fun whenever you need it. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. So we're gonna start off with actually a little bit of news that literally just dropped, and that's the Hearthstone Witchwood expansion. That's gonna be coming out. Did you get a chance to look at this, guys?
2: I watched the trailer. That's about as far as I got.
3: You and me. I both. looked at the thumbnail and saw Hearthstone and went, "Oh."
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, I did the same.
1: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. It's it's not, I'm not gonna to spend too much time on it. Just to say, we're looking at kind of the a worgen area kind of thing that feel there's a couple of new keywords that they're putting in echo so a card if you have twice the amount of resources required you can put two of them out and so forth and so forth uh and rush which is the same thing as charge except only towards minions and a few different things where some of the cards are going to make your hero power either a lot cheaper or more powerful depending on the type of creatures that you put in your deck like if their cost is all even or all uneven it's it's very interesting kind of just trying to play with it at this point it feels like kind of don't put too much radically different but just have some fun with what's there and again for an expansion like this that's perfect. It sounds like it'll be a lot of fun. Nothing amazing or groundbreaking, but certainly a lot of fun.
2: Honestly, I straight up, I just enjoy this because they're finally at a point where they found sort of their own stride, and it's they just don't take themselves seriously at all. And I think that is one of the greatest things I could possibly do between, you know, Kobolds and... What the hell was the name of it? I, I, they're they're uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, Spoof. Yeah, yeah. But between that and now this... Uh, with the opening song that was basically like almost like Halloween Town from Nightmare Before Christmas and then going into like the whole Blair Witch sort of spinoff thing. Like they're just being goofy. They're having fun with it. They're not taking themselves seriously. And those are the type of things that I enjoy because when you take yourself too seriously, your shit gets boring real fucking quick.
1: Well, they've kind of dug that lane for themselves for a while now too. So that's, that's their lane. It's working very well for them. So there you go. Uh, moving on, just from there very quickly, Battle for Azeroth. You managed to get into the. It's an alpha, alpha now yeah. or beta alpha? It, oh, it's a, it's very much very alpha. much alpha. What are your like just baseline thoughts right now?
2: So the scope of the starting areas is actually really really cool, uh, and it's really it feels bigger than it is almost. Um, I like the idea of the storylines that you're starting to get for the faction specific starting areas uh, with the sort of the human side you're starting to learn all about Kul Tiras, what happened uh, you're learning about what happened not just during the third war but that time between the second and third war when Kul Tiras decided fuck this I'm out which is something they've never talked about in any of the games books or anything which is really really cool um, you're getting a whole bunch of new story with Jaina and her family which is nice because Jaina's getting a spotlight where she's not a crazy And be not dependent on a man which is really really cool because she's always been one of my favorite characters and it looks like they're finally starting to flush out her story in a more I I hesitate to say organic way but a way that doesn't it doesn't feel tropey and I I really appreciate that you know what's funny though
1: is I kind of like crazy Jaina (laughs) when she's on that razor's edge that's where I like Jaina (laughs) crazy angry is fine I'm all
2: about that. Oh, no, I, I like just the plain crazy, too. When it is that razor's edge? I love that. <laughs> but it, they're doing some good stuff there, and the zone feels really, really well done. Uh, they're also starting to dip into certain things like, I don't know, Roger might have remember this, but back in the day when, like, Cataclysm was a thing, and we got Worgen. Worgen becoming druids was a thing because that was sort of like, they already had sort of that touch when yeah. they were, like, the Harvest Witches and things like that. Well, there's a, a they haven't confirmed it yet, but there's a rumor that humans are going to be able to be druids as long as they're from what from Cultirus, yeah. Huh. So it nothing's been confirmed, but by going through some of the quests and doing a bunch of the reading of like the books that are scattered in in the starting area, it makes sense because Cultirus is an island nation. Shit is really hard to grow on an island. Yet they've been self-sustaining for years, decades at this point. So how could they possibly be doing that and not needing anything else and not suffering, right? So it, it we haven't gotten quite there yet, and, or at least I haven't. But I think that actually would be really cool if that's a thing that happens because they're tying it in with story. They're tying it in with lore. They're touching back on things from years of the game and books. And I'm not just talking about just World of Warcraft. They're talking about like, we're talking like Warcraft, like the actual RTS back in the day. And that's really, really cool too. So it it, it feels fun. It feels fresh and it feels interesting. Uh, so I definitely like that. And that's just from the little bit of the, the human side that I've played. The Horde side. Oh, actually, hold sorry, on one ahead. second,
1: please. Um, now, one of the biggest concerns that, well, I don't have it quite as much after speaking to you, but I'd like to confirm it. But ironically, I was just talking to you, who was at Mocha today about that too. Are we still? Are you still feeling very much the faction um, war bullshit kind of thing, or are you? When what? you're going through this, is it
2: primarily all these underlying other things going on? Well, let me get into that because that actually ties in with the the horde starting area. Segue for the win. Yes. Uh, so the Horde starting area is all about dealing with trolls and as somebody who has been absolutely sick of like troll dungeons and, and raids for years, this is fucking fantastic because we're not just dealing with individual troll tribes in dungeons. You're dealing with an entire city. You're dealing with an entire island nation of trolls and you're going to, uh, um, uh, Zoldazar, which is the main temple city where the seat of the king of the United Tribes sits. It's a holy city where all the tribes go.
1: Whoa, but, whoa, 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 whoa. When you say you go, do you mean this is a place where anybody can go
2: or that's... Is there a new starting is area? Is it a starting area? It, well, you, the Horde story, when you start a character, you start in the city, but there's a lead-up quest that isn't in the game yet where you basically save the king's daughter... Not in a your princess in another castle way, but she tends to get herself in sort of trouble because she doesn't listen uh, and has an adventurous spirit about her type thing. But are um, the,
1: like are the Zandalari trolls and the I would assume it would only be those two. But who the fuck knows? Are they getting their own new starting area when you start a new
2: character with them? Well, we haven't gotten there yet because they're not actually. So I thought they were actually the allied race was released. They're not. OK, not okay. yet. So, we haven't gotten there yet, but they will if they're anything like the other ones. They'll have their own starting experience, their own little area to go through in their own little scenario, which is perfectly fine.
1: Yeah, well, I was again, I was talking to Tristan about that just this afternoon. Like, the Zandalari trolls, it wouldn't be hard because, like, the trolls right now, it's just islands. Just shove a couple more islands there. You've Mm -hmm. got all the assets, and boom, you're laughing. And then with the Dark Iron Dwarves, again, they've got all the assets, and they can create uh, an area in... Blackrock deaths, or something, some one of those areas, much like they did with Nomuragan, kind of
2: or thing. or Grimbatol, or any of those other places. Yeah,
1: that would be fantastic. So, and it wouldn't take a ton of work from them. No, I, I'm it, sorry, it,
2: it would basically just be running up another instance or uh, another sort of phased instance of that zone, which they've shown that they've more than willing to do with the older areas. Um, uh, but going back to the troll stuff, the interesting thing is you as a player are dealing with your former enemies as well as new allies among the trolls inside of this one city and its surrounding area. And the thing I like about it is they're really holding true to the individual troll cultures as far as like what's been in the stories and everything and they're not just homogenizing them, which is really, really cool to me. Like everything has its own distinct feel. As you get deeper into the story, you start learning that, and this is not really a whole lot of spoilers because this is pretty apparent from the beginning, Blood magic is what's ruining the trolls. Dude, some of those
1: fucking screenshots with
2: them doing their blood magic bullshit mm -hmm. were amazing. So the interesting thing about blood magic is story-wise, it ties in with the game very, very deeply. It ties in with Draenor. It ties in with the old Warlocks. It ties in with the Mogu from Mr. Pandaria because they were doing blood magic as well. It ties in with the Titans, all of that stuff. And more specifically it starts giving you the feel that this isn't going to actually be an expansion about a faction war that you're there's this ties into a bigger sort of story that overshadows it. And it makes me feel like the title of battle for Azeroth isn't between us. It's the battle for Azeroth, the planet Ooh, did not think of that. That Now I've been saying this for a while and people have been telling me I'm crazy, but I can't wait to you guys fucking play this game because I think I'm right. And I don't say that very often with with 100% certainty, but I really, really feel like the way everything is going with this, the way that the way that the callbacks are doing, it's I think this is going to be that. Plus, there's also some cool things with the trolls, too, that that lean that way as well. Uh, The Loa are present, and I don't mean like random animal spirit here. I'm talking like you die as a troll and their version of Baron Samidi is there to greet you, not a spirit healer. It is a giant, massive, dead troll with black pits for eyes. Oh, you want to go back to the living? Let's make a deal. It's it's just phenomenal. But even the way that they interact and the way that you interact with the Loa leads me to believe that there is a bigger thing at, at sort of stake here. And I really, really love that. And there's so many good callbacks to like stuff that has been like dropped threads that they're picking back up again that we haven't seen since vanilla. And it's like... I'm I'm there. I it's funny
1: because and Tristan agrees with me on this too. Like I know Tarts huge into fucking trolls. I yeah have not been. You know I've done it. I've done the quest lines and everything. But overall, I'm just not and often not into the aesthetics too much either. These guys here, I cannot fucking wait to try them and play them. Just and I were looking at the of course the druids. And of course. And we, I'd only seen like the the screenshots, but now you can see the videos of them, um, casting or, or, or whatever. And we're sitting down right here, as a matter of fact, and he's beside me. We were watching the videos. And when the Boomkin, which, if you haven't seen the new skin for the Boomkin for Trolls, it's unfucking believable. It's just so goddamn cool. And it's got these like Triceratops. Kind of wings webbing that it between the arm and the body, and when it starts casting and it puts its arms out, and then th- those kind of fold out and then it kind of sways. The first time we saw that, both of us at this time, same time, we like, "Ooh, look at that!" Because <laughs> it just looks so fucking cool.
2: And did you see the uh, the flying and the travel forms too? Oh yeah,
1: they're they're just beautiful like the the detail in those assets when you zoom right in and then compare it to the other ones and again it's it, i don't want to just be that druid that bitches that we got shafted for 12 years but let's be fucking honest okay <laughs> but you look at this one and each of the forms is different each of the forms has their their, their own looks in terms of um not being the traditional bear cat and cheetah ish or whatever kind of form, completely fucking different, skinned beautifully. It's just absolutely gorgeous. I I thought it was beautiful.
2: And speaking of absolutely gorgeous, this is one thing I also want to say. Like they've been really upping their game. Like they did it in Legion for a lot of the stuff, minus Argus, which is just very very green. Uh, but the rest of like Legion was very well done. A lot of the zones were just very beautiful. Had very good scenes. And were framed really really well uh, this is one of those things where i started playing the alpha and one of the very first quests is you have to go petition the king on the horde side make sense whatever it's a standard go introduce yourself type quest as you're moving up to where the throne is you, it's not inside of the temple it's not in a guarded room it's not completely cut off from all of the land or anything like that no, it's at the top of a fucking temple. And it's overlooking the entirety of the fucking troll lands. And the first thing you see is this beautiful scene of like this jungle with the temples all dotting it, wildlife going going just rampant. And I'm and I mean your standard wildlife, sure, yeah. Also new fucking dinosaurs everywhere because trolls and dinosaurs go together like you know milk and cookies like it's Dude, just like natural there's a
1: screenshot of an undead kind of massive t-rex with armor yep. in it that motherfucker better be tameable
2: Is all i gotta say <laughs> well and i think too that there's going to be another caravan mount that's going to be dinosaur based because they have this thing that's called a bruntosaurus and it's a caravan thing i think that's going to be our caravan mount but the scene frames itself too with this beautiful like you When I say God Rays, you guys know what those are, right? Of course. Okay. So it's just literally just the scene of God Rays pouring over the land. And it's so beautifully textured and so beautifully rendered that, like, for the first couple seconds, like, I just turned to Tart and I'm like, holy fuck. Like, I was stunned to the point where I took my hands off the keyboard and, like, this is a fucking alpha? Holy shit. So as long as they keep doing that stuff, I've been very, very happy with the visuals of it as well. Which has just been phenomenal. So nice. I have a question in regards to the allied races.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I thought there was like the four that was that were announced, and then the Zandalari tribe and the uh, Iron Dwarves were coming. But now I'm reading about Magar orcs, and it mm-hmm. sounds very much like yeah, that's going to be another one. And oh, that, they're fully skinned. Tristan found some shit on the, the vulpine. Yep. And, and maybe that's the same thing. And then there's the serpent people. And what? Okay. Do, is this all like speculation and rumors at this point, or have they said, Oh no, there's a whole bunch of fucking allied races coming. Just be patient. And that's going to be the game from now on.
2: So they haven't said anything about that as far as like, there's going to be a ton of allied races. They've been very non-committal about what they're going to put as as allied races. But honestly, this is something that is, at this point, the technology is easier for them to do than it's ever been before. And I think they're going to run with it. And I think that's fine. Oh, fuck.
1: If, are you kidding me? Fine. This is fantastic.
2: Yeah. Because all of a sudden now,
1: Azeroth is no longer restricted for you, the player, yep. to where the your race built up bases and things like that. Now it's opened up to the entirety of that planet. You can be characters anywhere and do anything like the idea. To, no, dude, fuck. If they make druid vulpine, I will never play another character for as long <laughs> as I fucking live. Okay. We were talking about that. And then, cause he was saying, well, they might be, they've got the, the clothing for it, the, and all that stuff. And then in my head, I'm thinking, What if that's the surprise allied race to balance out the fact that there currently aren't any druids on the Alliance side, they're all on the Horde side. So wouldn't it be something in those little fucking foxes suddenly become druids and morph into everything? Oh my God.
2: Oh Oh my God. Well, and then on top of that too, a personal favorite of mine, the the Tortolans, which were a race introduced in Hearthstone are an NPC race that just so also happen to be fully rigged and animated, and also happen to be in Hearthstone, very predominantly shamanistic. So, giving me turtle shamans, I'm gonna be a happy camper as well. And so those like,
1: those uh, serpent ones too, because they're not naga. They're they way different fucking look to them. Holy Christ, did that ever look go- like? If this is the direction that they're gonna go in. Where it's, you know what, we're gonna throw a whole bunch of fucking races at you and you could just do that and spend your time doing that. And that's how they get people back into the game. Well, guess what? It worked. I resubbed today.
0: <laughs> I I'm
1: that after reading this, shooting the shit with Tristan about that. I'm going, you know what? I'm interested in that. There's a lot of other shit that I'm not, but I've been playing 12 years. I know well enough now that the stuff I'm not interested who the fuck cares? Leave it alone. Don't do it. But this kind of thing and working towards that with the uh, the faction rep and whatnot, which to a certain degree, if the rewards for a faction rep are something unbelievably cool like a fucking allied race, I don't mind that rep at all. I'll do that rep for months if it unlocks fucking vulpine. Like, well, that's if- the
2: way to do it. And the thing too with that is in legion they proved that they could do it with a rep lock that isn't awful right so like at least horde side if you did any questing whatsoever you were most of the way to exalted with like high mountain right and if you did the nightborne quest lines which were actually really well done and they kept you interested while you were going through them then you were already there for nightborne like it was just there. It was it was already present. And or or you were so close that it took like one round of dailies and a turn in at a uh, at like the the sort of uh daily whatever for emissary quest turn in to like get you the rest of the way there. And that feels good because they're rewarding you just for playing the game, not grinding. And if they yeah. keep doing that, that's key. And Keep throwing allied races at us. Keep opening up these races. Like the Magar, the, the Magar orcs, that's something people have been asking for since we fucking stepped foot in Outland. And you like, know, <laughs> this is the first time I look
1: at an orc female and think, oh, I'm playing one of these. Holy shit. And I, I've made orc females, but not a lot. I think the the asset for the orc females, all of the assets, I think they're horrible. This one here, mm-hmm. she looks Fierce! Those glowing eyes are incredible. Plus, she almost has a feline look to her, like it's it's almost like a a, a cheetah from uh, DC Comics. Yeah. And it was like, holy fuck, I'm playing the shit out of that when it comes out. So again, for someone that literally a few weeks ago was complaining about the game certain aspects of it, and now I'm like, I'm excited. I want to do more of these things, and yeah, I'll work for it if that's the end result that I can mess around on a character like that. So yeah, I agree. Just keep throwing those in. It expands the playable world in a really unique way as well that can be played with not just by us, us clearly, but the devs, you know, all of a sudden now you're thinking, okay, well, you're making these allied races look at some of the NPC races that you've always like, you've told their story through the quest lines, but those story, those quest lines are very limited in scope. They're very limited in what they, the interaction that you have with that, that be it race or that colony or whatever. Now, all of a sudden as a dev and a writer, especially you can say, okay, now we're on the inside looking out. Now you are the slums. You understand the slums of this little city or whatever you you're, uh, you're one of us. And so now the quests are going to be way different than what the people, the outsiders
2: got going in. Know what I mean? Yeah, and it opens up all sorts of avenues to do things like that, which yeah. is cool because it keeps, for me, it keeps the game fresh, keeps it alive. It has the potential to draw on more players. And this is when we were talking about before, about how the new buzzword for video games is engagement, just like it is for any other IT-based uh, sort of business. You want people to be engaged as long and as often as possible. And this is something that they've been trying to do over the years, whether it was daily quests, rep rep grinds, uh, or, you know, shit, artifact power, basically. Like, those things were designed to keep you in the game longer, but they felt bad. They felt forced and awkward, and players didn't generally like them. But something like this, where it's like, yeah, just go roll an alt now. Go, Go roll another character. Go roll an allied race that you unlocked. Go have fun again. Well, not just that, too, but it's
1: also, to a certain degree, it's the new bragging rights because Mm -hmm. now you can see the people who worked hard to unlock that race. And if they make it so that specific races potentially are especially difficult to unlock, you got to put in a lot of work to get it. There's your bragging right that, you know, that level one bank alt that you don't even fucking play. Who the hell cares? It's this rare, rare allied race that you unlocked that if they decide they want to go that route, they might have me as a steady sub because that to me is fun.
2: And I think we should probably start moving away from this. Cause I think Marty and Vince are falling asleep, but yeah. that said they they're making some good choices finally. And like, you could see that they're starting to, I don't want to say turn a corner. I'm just hoping that they are. And if they can keep this up and they can keep, you know, doing stuff like this, Good on them.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> before we do move on, I also was invited to the alpha and I was wishy-washy about like, I was just starting to be like, maybe I don't really miss the game as much. And now hearing you talk about it, I will probably, I, my sub is still, uh, I haven't run out of my sub yet. So I will probably be going back and checking out at the very least the alpha. So, well, you know, you don't need a sub for the like alpha, right? It's fine. My sub, I did it like, <laughs> I, I got like a year long sub way back in the day and it accidentally renewed, and so uh, still there. Whoops! You're
1: gonna have to tell me what server you're on, dude, because I actually was thinking I'd make a, a tune on your alt on your uh, server.
0: I, I'm on, I'm on Feathermoon. Have been on Feathermoon. You know, let me put on my wizard hat. Caw caw. I'm still there. And you're alliance side on that? Mostly alliance side, yeah. I Hell, I think I have
1: alliance characters on that realm. But yeah, I was, I just made a character on a realm where I already had some just, again, I was just dicking around and I made this worgen and, and I was just like, I typed in Logan because he looked furry and, you know, looked like Logan. So I type it in and I was going, ah, this is going to be taken. Click. It's not, I'm going, well, I guess I've got a main now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I use the, uh, cause he's got dark hair. I put associate professor as his title. Like when he was back teaching with that the Xavier mansion. <laughs> oh, nice. Periodically I'll 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 transbog him and I'll change his skin this fur to white and use the elder title. <laughs> that, that's as close as old man Logan as I can get. That's that's good. All right, let's move away from WoW now because we also got a Nintendo Direct
2: actually last week. Joe, all yours. Where to start? Where to start? I guess I'll start with some 3DS stuff, because they apparently despite saying that they weren't going to get us any more 3ds things are giving us 3ds things uh so first i'm going to start with warioware gold which is back and repackaged and put on the 3ds with brand new games uh and it's basically everything that has ever come out for the warioware game and then some which i know a lot of people have been asking for uh well now you got it there you go uh then there is dylan's Dead Heat Breakers, which I don't know what the fuck this is, but it's an anthropomorphic armadillo. Uh, it's a Nintendo wild, game set in the Wild <laughs> West, like this is like '90s sort of mascot war era type game, uh, and you fight rocks. I, I that, that's all I've seen. So I mean, it's interesting. They're bad this- rocks, Joe. They're, they're super bad rocks. Maybe we, should, maybe we should just hear the rocks out, Roger. Come on. <laughs> there are good people on both sides. <laughs> oh, man. Now, a game that I am actually very interested in a getting an update in 2019 is Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story plus Bowser Jr.'s Journey. I loved Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story. It was a fantastic game way back when and the fact that it's getting updated with uh I believe they said some newer content for that side plus a whole new adventure for Bowser Jr that has me intrigued.
3: We just saw it was a Superstar Saga got remade this year, right?
2: Yeah, Superstar Saga did get remade. Like,
3: yeah, this year. give me all the Mario and Luigi games. Give me all the RPGs.
2: Like they're all fantastic to a to a piece. Yeah, absolutely. Uh then we got speaking of other remakes in the Mario genre, Luigi's Mansion the original is getting a 3DS release, which is great. It's the first time that it's been re-released on a newer system since, I mean, GameCube, since it was a thing. Uh, And that game was absolutely fantastic back in the day. And the the one that they did release for the 3DS, uh, which was like Dark of the Moon or Dark Moon, something like that, that was fun. That was great, but it wasn't the original. Well, now we can play the original. I I think I'll challenge, quote-unquote, new
1: system. 3DS doesn't qualify as a new system. Newer. It's no, a modern it does. System. No, it's, it's not modern. <laughs> yeah,
2: I would with this. No, is. Uh, I would argue back. Well, you can argue that all you want, but I will. Uh, I'll stick with that. And then a game that is going to be absolutely ridiculous because it's voiced with a very, very deep-voiced Pikachu. Detective mm-hmm. Pikachu pre-orders we were found out We're going to be live. Uh, and it's going to be launching later on this month uh, with a giant fucking Amiibo. Dude, so.
1: if if there would have been soft jazz music playing behind as, as Pikachu was. was talking, I would not have been surprised.
2: There was. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> turn, it, turn it up. Seriously, turn it up. There is like the noir jazz music playing in the background whenever he's talking.
1: I'll have to it's, listen to it again. It's great.
2: It's now. So fucking weird. <laughs> Moving away from the 3DS, talk about some of the stuff that's coming out for the Switch because there is a bunch of stuff coming out. Um, One of the things which I actually am kind of excited for is Okami HD, which I liked liked Okami back in the day and getting it on the Switch this summer. Fantastic. It's going to be completely remastered with all the content that's ever been released for it, similar to what they did with the PS4, Xbox One and PC. Uh, We're just going to get it on the Switch, which I'm all about. Fuck that. That's going to be
1: awesome as a portable because that's just going to look beautiful on their screen.
2: Yeah. And and another game that is, looks like it's going to be very beautifully drawn and animated because it's got some very, very, very anime things and a game that Roger and I both were like, huh? At the same time on, on messenger sushi striker, the way of Sushido. (laughs) It's going to be released on the Switch and the 3DS, but it's it's a fucking anime game about sushi puzzle solving. It's great. This is like
1: they looked at Battle Chef Brigade and went, here, hold my my knives. <laughs> hold my sake. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then we did get some more information on Octopath Traveler, where there's going to be a new race or new race, new job, excuse me. Um, and we got to see a little bit about that, which is the Merchant, which I think is actually interesting. And we've been seeing this a lot lately in some more indie RPGs where it's not necessarily being the hero that yeah. is sort of highlighted. It's being a merchant that's highlighted. And I kind of like that. I think that's an interesting I thing. fucking love it. I Yeah. Give me more of that. And then the idea that you can have a primary uh, path, like in this case, the merchant that has going to have certain things accessible to you that are not accessible to any other 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 job. Is that you? Then have an in combat job as well. So you know you're merchant by day and you know ninja warrior by night, type thing, which is which is cool. It gives you some diversity and doesn't let you feel shoehorned.
1: Well, uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not joking. I fucking love that. But I'm I'm really curious what they're going to do with it and just how much you'll get. But it it ironically because I've had Wow on the brain the last few days. It it made me think of that because I was thinking you know they went the clear faction difference of the horde versus alliance but if they had wanted a two-party system where you could have two different play styles or whatever they could have gone with something like that where you could have a bunch of people who were playing as the heroes who go out adventuring and a lot of the other ones who are playing the NPCs who are playing the ones who are, whether you're in town or little outposts, or if you want something a little bit more adventurous, close to the action and things like that. Like games looking forward, if they go that route and we see more of that, it's fucking awesome.
3: Well, I mean, there's an entire series of games, uh, the Atelier series yes. where you run, you know, the shopkeeper in the town.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm all about that life because I think it's cool. I think it's interesting. I think mm-hmm. it's interesting,
1: especially in multiplayer games where you're not just the you know the the blacksmith in town dealing with AI, but no, no, there's actual people that you're dealing with, and they're coming to your shop. That that element of dealing with a real human being really brings this depth to the game that is otherwise not there, in my opinion.
2: And that was one of the few things like I liked about like Lineage Two back in the day because you could literally just set up a yeah. shop stall. You know, uh, as there's been some other other games that are being ported over to the Switch as well. And for anybody out there that's saying ports are a dirty word, fuck off. Ports are good, especially when they're really well done. Uh, and South Park, the fractured butthole <laughs> is coming to the Switch. Uh, my only my only gripe about it, and, and I mentioned this to, to you, Roger, is it's going to release at full price and then you're either going to have to buy a season pass, just like you did when the game first released. Uh, or you're going to have to buy the uh, expansions individually. And then when the game does release on the Switch, the second expansion is going to be coming out for the game, for all, all the platforms, which is okay. But when it goes on sale so often on PC or the other systems at this point, because it's been out long enough at this point, I have a really hard time justifying that $60 price tag.
1: And I'm going to say the same thing to you as a suggestion to anybody else who'd be interested in the game is just wait. There are Ubisoft sales on the Switch all the time and actually not long after a game releases, to be honest. We've seen that already. So I'm very much interested in playing it on the Switch. I've been playing it on the PC, but not nearly as much. And it is actually a game that lends itself very well to that very short a uh, uh, stint of playing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and where poor portability. I'm talking about the bathroom people. <laughs> 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 it fits very well in that little time frame of time. And and if you want something longer, you can. So I will definitely be picking it up and I'm I've actually kind of paused my character. <laughs> because South Park is so fucking weird that you really care about your character. Like if you were playing an MMO or an RPG, I created my dude. I love him and I want to see him RPG. through this. I know.
2: I know. So, uh, so yeah, so I'll pick it up, but I'm going to wait until it goes on sale. And that's probably going to be the camp that I'm in. Cause I do want to play it on the switch yeah. uh, because I do like the idea of being able to take it with me. It's one of those things where like I, I bring my switch with me when I go wait to pick up tart at work at night so that I can play games on the go. Nice. And it's, Very entertaining for me. Yeah. Um, now another game that's being ported that I was super shocked about because talking about the old nineties mascot Mm -hmm. wars, fucking Crash Bandicoot, the insane trilogy is being released on the switch. It is a cold day in hell friends. (laughs) Like I did not expect that to happen at all because I expected Microsoft, which I believe Activision owns crash now at this point, doesn't it? Yes. So Activision said fuck it, put it on Nintendo. It just feels weird. Care. Activision cares about the bottom line
1: and they're seeing the the, the the dollar signs happening with anybody putting shit on the
2: Switch right now, so I am not surprised at all. But I and I'm okay with that. Honestly, I'm Damn okay right. with it because I'm getting something I very very much want out of that. Now, there are a bunch of other games that are being ported over as well. Uh, we got some more information about Hyrule Warriors which Again, it, it has a definitive edition release date, which is going to be May 18th for the Switch, which, I again, it's a port, but it's a game that was on the Wii U that nobody played, When this is going to be great because it's a fucking fantastic game if you like Dynasty Warriors. Uh, we are getting Undertale on the Switch, which is a hit game from 2015, folks, uh, but it actually seems right at home on a Switch because it feels like an old-school Nintendo RPG. Yep. And so putting it on the Switch just seems to make sense. At least to me, it does. Yeah, definitely. Then you have Little Nightmares, the complete edition. Yeah. So <laughs> It's going to have all of the things that came with the, the game and all the releases and expansions that there, or, or DLCs, whatever they, they called them, that came out for it. That's going to be on there as well as a wonderful little costume and special amiibo integration with Pac-Man where you get a super bizarre Pac-Man face costume that looks like something out of the fucking Verge. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we did get some more information on Travis Strikes Again for No More Heroes, which is going to also have a cooperative mode, uh, which is really, really cool looking. Uh, it looks fantastic. Uh, the animation, the, the color, everything looks like it's going to be wonderfully at home on the Switch, and I'm super excited about this. Uh, and also, it's going to have the same standard Travis-style humor, which means it's going to be fucking filthy, and I'm okay with that. Uh, we got some more information about Dark Souls, just a little bit, mainly centered around the Amiibo integration and a release date. Uh, so May 25th, Dark Souls Remastered is going to be being released. And you will get the uh, Solaire of Astoria Amiibo, where you can praise the fucking sun. Smart choice, guys. The greatest Amiibo I've ever seen. Oh, I'm I'm pre-ordering the fucking thing. Like, there's no way in hell I'm not owning this Amiibo. (laughs) Uh, There's some other original stuff, too. We did get to see Captain Toad and the Treasure Tracker, which I didn't really... I never cared for, but I know that some people are really going to like it. Uh, This is also a Wii U game that sort of is getting updated and moved over with new, new courses based on various kingdoms from super Mario odyssey, uh, which, you know, that's great. And if you're into that type of thing, it looks like it could be fun for those people. I'm just definitely not one of those people. And I will say this though. Fuck. Did it ever look good? Oh yeah. It absolutely looks great. Jesus Christ. Did it ever look good? And speaking of looking good, a game that I am actually super excited for Mario tennis aces looks like it's going to be fucking great. And I never like I never thought I would be that guy that says fucking a sports Mario game is going to be a must-have for me. But aside from the talk of the special ability that they're they're adding to this game, uh, moving that aside, it looks beautiful, the play looks great, the character selection looks great. I'm gonna be I'm a fucking chain chomp main, come at me. Uh, but it looks great, and I can't wait to pick this game up and it's Zone Shot. Zone shot. <laughs> Uh, Everything was a fucking zone shot. (laughs) It was was over and over again. Zone shot this,
1: zone shot that. Will you stop saying so? It's bad enough that you've been talking about tennis longer than anything else. In fact, probably everything combined at that point. And it was like, oh, my fucking Lord. As someone who is not,
2: more power to you, Joe. Enjoy it. But holy fucking (laughs) hell did that ever drag on. Now... There was also uh, some more information about Splatoon 2. Uh we did get more information about the next DLC pack as well as a new character and a whole new adventure mode for that character which is not actually an inkling but one of the squid folk. Uh so I thought that was kind of cool. If you're into Splatoon, uh, this is definitely going to be a fun thing. Um but they also have a expansion pass for Splatoon so you can get all this type of stuff. Uh but it looks good. It absolutely looks gorgeous, so I'm not going to You know, I'm not going to say anything bad about it. Um, And then probably the biggest drop of the year in what has almost broken the internet because Nintendo really loves doing this occasionally.
3: It was a damn good teaser though.
2: (laughs) It was a fucking great (laughs) teaser. Uh, And it's been like ripped apart and it's been exploded and people have zoomed in on the shadows, trying to predict who the characters are. We're getting a new smash brothers. Now, the question everybody's been asking is, is is this going to be a port of the wii u version updated for the switch or is it going to be a brand new game i'm here to say i don't fucking care i'm <laughs> buying this motherfucking <laughs> thing the minute it's available for the switch because i fucking love smash and i've been waiting for them to announce it for the switch and yes you can play as the inklings but what what the fuck ever i don't care like just give me just give me smash damn it just just put it in my fucking hands And this is another thing. If I hear anybody bitch about, oh, which I bought from the Wii U, I will fight you in real life.
3: Well, I mean, it's the same thing we saw with like Mario Kart and everything. Like, there's a lot of great games on the Wii U that nobody played because it was on the Wii U. Like, yeah, okay, have a new version, like all the stuff from the old game, all the DLC characters, Bayonetta, Cloud, all that shit, updated graphics, you know, do some balance changes, new stages, and new characters. Yeah,
2: sure, fine. And, and here's the thing that I'm just going to make a point about ports that uh, that that I think is often lost. Eastern versus Western game development. We talked about this a hundred episodes ago. In in the East, they tend to just make game systems from the ground fucking up. In the West, we tend to recycle game systems or license them from other pieces. This is why you see Unity engines and, and things like that used in a ton of games. You go through your collection. You you'll see that engine used all over the place or the unreal engine or whatever the case is them doing ports and just updating the graphics, gameplay, tightening up controls or doing things like that. Not only does it save them time because they don't have to rebuild the system from the ground fucking up, but it lets them fix the problems that they had or went through the first time. So I'm all about this and this makes me happy. Give me more ports. Give me more ports that don't suck.
1: Well, the thing to keep in mind too, is that, well, in this case here, not everybody had the Wii U. So it's one of those cases oh, where yeah. it's very, very easy to see <laughs> that how... That is like the greatest understatement I've ever but, heard. But it is. I, I, I stand <laughs> by it. <laughs> there might be a couple of people who didn't have a Wii U and they didn't buy it. So there's a, uh, a a massive group of people there that are more likely to want to try it, regardless of if it was on the Wii U before. Hell, I fucking, my Wii U is still connected, and and it's like... Um, what's the last game I was I bought one of the Zelda games um, what's the cel-shaded one that's not Wind Waker is it?
2: Wind Waker yeah. Yeah. I, I bought it on the uh,
1: on the Wii U when it came on sale one time and, and I never fucking got to play it and so I was like whatever I, when I get a chance and again it's not like it's it's not like it's disconnected it's not like it's on another fucking floor it's right over there but if it came out at a reasonable price on the Switch I would buy it <laughs> Because I prefer the Switch in every conceivable way. So a a good port, I don't care if it came from the Wii U or if it was even on another console or whatever. If it's well done, clearly as per what we were just saying about South Park, if it's well done, for a lot of people right now, it's
2: so much fucking better to do it on the Switch. And and I'm here to say that if they were to port Wind Waker HD and... Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword to the Switch and even charge me full price it's one of those rare occasions where I'd say fucking take my money yeah like, probably it, <laughs> that's the only reason I have my Wii U hooked up still too like that's it because I play through those games occasionally but that's all I got from the Nintendo Direct unless any of you guys want to bring anything else to the table no I'm good Yeah. how do you, how do you follow Smash
0: you don't that's why they dropped it at the end Seriously, was even I knew drop. about the Smash. Like I was like, "Oh, Smash Brothers! I, I want to get a Switch. I'll play this."
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I the the amount of people that I saw going, "Well, I'm buying a Switch now!" Immediately after seeing that, uh, was just staggering. Like uh, the live reactions were amazing. Oh, dude, fantastic! One of my one of my favorite YouTubers actually made a a great uh, uh, analyzing of the trailer video game Donkey because that dude's just fucking hilarious when it comes to this type of shit and. Like stuff like that, like the, the people that are just making fun of the making fun of it are just, it hasn't stopped since the trailer and I'm, I'm just I think it's hilarious. Oh fuck
1: Tristan was talking to me about the spacing between the letters and the font and I'm going, are you I, fucking oh, did he, serious?
2: Did, <laughs> did he point out that it didn't have the underline underneath it and that means it oh, must yeah. be a new game? Oh, we're, we were
1: talking about the <laughs> theme score as well and all kinds of fucking shit. It's like this this is a conspiracy that must be figured out. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. Vince, you wanted to talk about Nier. Did you forget you wanted to talk about Nier? Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, uh, a couple weeks ago, Nier Automata celebrated you know its one-year release, and Yoko Taro was doing some interviews and stuff. Come to find out, like they were very, very pleasantly surprised with the game's performance. They expected it to sell about a million copies, and it easily doubled that. So that means Yokotaro's pretty much got the green light for whatever weird-ass fucking projects he wants to <laughs> throw upon us next. Uh, also, some references to the fact that uh, 2020 will be the 10-year anniversary of the first Nier's release, so we could probably see something around then, I would say. But the big thing that, that a lot of people uh, clued in on here is that he says there's still a secret that people haven't discovered in Nier Automata. And he even says it will definitely be unpleasant. Now, just to put this in perspective, Near Automatic delves into such subject matters as what is a soul? What does it mean to be alive? Are robots worthy of compassion? So, if there's something on this game that is unpleasant by those standards,
1: you have to donkey punch <laughs> walls. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: small, and it, it, again, Yokotaro's a weird, weird fucking dude. So, whatever his idea of as unpleasant is, I want to know, but I don't want to know. <laughs> but like, the near community has just gone nuts, like coming up with every possible way, like uh, you know what hasn't been explored yet, and like, I. <laughs> even if it's something stupid and almost nothing <laughs> that it's great that this game has been out for a year. And then the fan base is still so fervent that even a tiny little tidbit like this can, can set them aflame
2: again. Well, I mean, this is the same fan base that realized that this was a continuation of fucking Panzer Dragoon. Go figure. <laughs> okay. And you also wanted to talk about the council.
3: Yeah. The council. I had not heard of this game prior to a couple of days ago. And okay, well, I feel better because I watched
1: the trailer What the fuck? We, how come we didn't hear about this shit?
3: <laughs> it's uh, from a small studio, uh, Big Bad Wolf Games, and it actually releases tomorrow. <laughs> so by the well, time you listen
2: to this. The, the thing that should also be noted is that it's under the auspice of Focus Home Entertainment, or Focus Home Interactive, which they're not exactly slouches in the games they, they help push out.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So yeah, it'll be out uh, by the time you listen to this episode on PS4, Xbox One, and Steam. And it is an episodic narrative adventure game. But they are doing a lot of very interesting and unique things with that formula. Uh, First of all, the setup for the game, it takes place in the late 18th century. You play a young man by the name of Louis de Rocher, who is on the search for his mother. His mother is... Super badass spy lady in (laughs) service of this Illuminati type group. I believe they were called the Golden Circle in the trailer. Golden Order. Golden Order. There we go.
1: And I wonder if Joe's buying this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: you
2: go Wait to, uh, Illuminati game. Fucking Gold talk Lord? to George Washington. I'm buying this fucking
0: game. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you go to the island mansion of the, the, the leader of the order, meet with such historical figures as George Washington and Napoleon Bonaparte, as this Illuminati type group is gathering to discuss the future <laughs> course of the world. So you have all this great somewhat (laughs) historical (laughs) political thriller stuff going on with intrigue and mysteries and this is where things kind of diverge into what the council is doing differently Uh, first of all you actually have rpg elements tied in with the narrative gameplay insofar as you can choose a class for your Mm -hmm. character uh there are three classes first of all the diplomat which specializes in etiquette, conviction, politics, diversion, and linguistics. You have the Occultist with science, subterfuge, erudition, occultism, and manipulation. And Detective with agility, logic, psychology, vigilance, and questioning. So right from the get-go, you're going to have three very different ways to approach the shit that's going on in this game. And from what I've seen, knowledge is absolutely power in here. The more you can learn the more you can turn that to your advantage because this game also features what I can best describe as narrative combat. This is probably the best example of that sort of system I've seen since Secret of Monkey Island. You (laughs) have the insult-based sword fights where you're not a physically uh, impressive person. You're not going to go around stabbing people. You might get a lucky... You know, drop on someone at some point, but if somebody faces you down with a gun to your head, your only option is to talk your way out of the situation. Uh, use whatever knowledge you have. Pick up on uh, hints that they're giving you, uh, weaknesses in their own psychology that you can exploit to turn the tables on them. There is a lot of fascinating stuff they're doing with this gameplay beyond you know the typical telltale type formula of so and so will remember that. Now, where it starts to get ambitious is their approach to branching narrative gameplay insofar as they say there is no wrong choice you can make. No matter what you do playing this game, no matter what you do when playing this game, you will never get a game over. You will not be able to go back and reload a previous save to see the other outcome. So when you make a decision, you are committed to it until the end and the end is five episodes down the line they say, they say that there are going to be multiple outcomes in each episode and i'm just looking at the you know the <laughs> the extrapolation of that into how many possibilities there could be by the fifth episode and getting into some sketchy Mass Effect 3 territory of how much can this all really mean?
2: You shut your dirty mouth. If they Mass
3: Effect 3,
0: (laughs) I'm just saying
3: it's very hard to do so many different decisions over the course of enough time. Again, if there's five different outcomes from this chapter, then each of those five outcomes is going to have multiple outcomes in the second chapter. And it just keeps growing exponentially. And it's going to get very unwieldy from a writing and not just to mention development and cost standpoint. So I want to see how it works out because everything I'm seeing here is utterly fascinating. And I can easily see myself wanting to play through this several different times because it's, It's not going to be like a telltale game or like Life is Strange where everybody gets functionally the same story. You just come about it from some different avenues. This is one of those games. I'm going to love us getting together, you know, a few weeks down the road and discussing it because I know for a fact my gameplay is going to be completely different from anyone else's. And that's not just because I'm me. That's just because of how the game itself is. No, it's totally because you're you.
1: This is our Life is Strange. <laughs> yeah. I, I was watching this. I'm going, oh, okay, we're, we're starting a Life my, is Strange again, and that'll be a lot of fucking fun.
2: My only my only fear is that... So there's been games like this that look absolutely intriguing that hit all of our buttons, but then still fail to sort of take off, and then you don't get all of the episodes because it, it just doesn't get completed. Mm-hmm. And so that's the only thing I worry about, especially with the idea of... We love these types of games and we haven't heard about it until very recently. That scares me. And I, this is, I want this game to do well because I want all five fucking episodes. I need to play this game. I'm going to buy this game. I better get all five fucking episodes or I'll punch some.
0: Really,
1: though, let's be honest. How many times, how many games have you seen that didn't complete when they started releasing, though? Not well, to play devil's advocate, but
2: i I cannot think of a single
1: one off the top of my
2: head. So aside from that the the one that I remember off the top of my head that had some serious trouble is the the Bernstrom fiddle series what? which is yeah, exactly. see there you go. Um, it's a great series. It's one of Tart's favorite games, but they only have two episodes so far, and this is over the course of three years because they keep running into financial trouble because people don't know about this game. And it's a, a Sherlock Holmes style game. Where it's got the a bunch of humor inserted into it, still set in the Victorian era and it's very much puzzle solving and things like that and, and very investigative and it tells a cool story and it's very, very fun, but nobody's fucking heard of it. And because of that, nobody spent money on it, which put them in a position where things are taking longer to put out than they expected or they're you know half the time they're not even sure if they can do it and and oh, yes. i'm not saying that the, i'm like
1: not... it's it's too bad there aren't people doing podcasts that could have went gee that might be interesting to talk about and advise people about maybe they'd support it i'm just saying
3: <laughs> i'm just saying and, and does does this whatever the hell game you just talking about does it does it have like a known publisher behind it or is it just a self-funded indie team i think that's also a, an important distinction
2: and that's fair, but I mean, again, this is also one of those things where, while this has a publisher, I mean, Big Bad Wolf has done what? Oh, and the yeah. um, the other the other one that
3: did it mean, have- Ultimately, it's the bottom line. If people buy yeah. it and Focus Home sees the profit of continuing to fund the development of the game, it'll happen. If the first episode bombs, yeah, we might not see the end of it. Good thing and we're just ca- discussing it, so all of our dozens of listeners can <laughs> go out and purchase it as well.
2: But I mean, another game that that, that happened oh, to that really made me sad was that Red Riding Hood game. Remember the big bad wolf game, the the the, the pseudo platforming action adventure one with the very dark red Riding Hood story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we got two two episodes. No, we got one. I think it was canceled partway through number two. Like, yeah, no, you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. So, and I, I I want this to do well because I want to play this game. I mean, yeah. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to spend the money. I and if any of you listeners are out there and you like story different games, fucking spend the thirty bucks, damn it.
1: Well, we're definitely going to be talking about it on the podcast, without a doubt, because yeah. I, I'm i going to be buying it. Clearly, you guys are. I don't know about you, Marty.
0: I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, did One we wake us. you, motherfucker?
2: One of us.
0: <laughs> we'll see. I'll, I'm willing to try anything. Uh, it's just a question of you know wake me it's just a question of like oh my god so many games i cannot keep up with you guys i still haven't played where the water we're, tastes we're like not talking
3: yet. about some big 80 hour epic here you could probably play through episode one in two to three hours
1: and not for nothing, but some of the best conversations we've ever had on this podcast involved games that were released in episodic content. Com, content that you could play in an hour and a half, two hours, and then wait a month
0: and then play the next one. Best conversations tended to be those games. I I feel like uh, Cameron to your gentleman's Ferris. I will I purchase the game. I'll do it. I'll do it. Fuck. I'll do it. Fine. <laughs> Okay, be, lighten up, <laughs> fucking drama, mama! <laughs> oh, come on! It was a Ferris Bueller reference. Give me, give me some credit. It wasn't. Okay, let's dramatic. move
1: on to Paranoia. Go, Marty, you're on.
0: Okay, so Joe and Vince, did you guys ever play uh, one of the editions of Paranoia, the pen and paper RPG? Way back when. Familiar yeah. with it? Never played. So. There's not a lot out there about this game yet. It it strikes me more as vaporware, mostly because uh, all we have right now are some posters in a Vault Boy kind of style uh, with sayings that come from Alpha Complex. Paranoia is a classic RPG uh, inducted into the RPG Hall of Fame where you play the role of a troubleshooter in Alpha Complex. The world has ended and you live in the beautiful utopia that is Alpha Complex, where you are taken care of and take care of the almighty computer and you are going to go fix problems. The problem is uh, Alpha Complex is a shady place, uh, totalitarian, authoritarian, and also a little bit wacky or zany depending on who's running the game. It's initially supposed to be some sort of a satire of RPG and sci-fi tropes. Uh, it does not always come through. Uh, in fact, the 5th edition bombed because uh, no one cared about their attempt to make it a little bit weirder or a less... It's, it's a very difficult development period, I'll just put it that way. Um, it, I'm So it's supposed to be some sort of long-term game where you have six clones, where you're going to solve a problem and put up against other players or other clones. It does not. I'm having a hard time visualizing how this is going to be, not just because of the game style, but because they did a game like this before on the Commodore and on the Amiga. And it is like one of the worst video games outside of like, I don't know the ET game uh, back in the day. So there's That's not a lot about I recognize
1: that from the fucking Amiga game. Jeez, yep. Jesus. Because that was—I had
0: one of those when I was a fucking teenager. It it just there's so many properties out there that I think would make a really good transition to a video game. Paranoia is not on my list. Um, I'm also this is, you know, part of my cynicism. But like, I don't care for the publisher that currently has the rights to. Uh, paranoia. I am not a fan of Mongoose Publishing. They flooded the market with a whole bunch of garbage supplements back in the heyday of 3.0. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it's okay, some of it's not that great, but at the end of the day, like they were just pumping out stuff that was just like the player's guide to kobolds, the player's guide to knolls, the player's guide to pick a random monster from the uh, Dungeon Master's Guide or the Monster Manual and write 60 to a uh, hundred thousand words about why this monster and how you can play it just to like, that was my idea of microtransactions. Like the best way to just source books are microtransactions uh, for role playing games. And they just. Uh, there are enough
2: books to back during that period of time to fucking cave a bookshelf. in. I should know. <laughs>
0: My, and that's oh that's part of my problem with it. Like, granted, uh, that period of gaming is also rough with like, you know, that was also when the uh, World of Darkness Rokia source book came out, which is mm-hmm. I, fucking garbage um, paranoia. It could be good, but we don't have anything other than an announcement and those neat propaganda posters, which, OK, eh, there's just nothing there. Um, and I'm very skeptical about how this game is going to be played because uh, it's supposed to be satire. But in my opinion, this, those things always end up being like slapstick zany comedy, which fine could be well done, but it would strike me more as a narrative game, um, kind of like The Walking Dead or uh, The Wolf Among Us. But they're, that's not what it looks like where they're going. But then again, we don't have a lot of information about where they're going with it yet either. So, uh, I am like cautious, does not begin to describe how I feel about this particular property coming to video game platforms. And that's my research on paranoia. (laughs) Paid off. Well done. Good boy. (laughs) All right. That is actually going to work.
1: Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> that's going to wrap it up for the night. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes at For the Lore. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find us on Twitter at For the Lore individually. Joe is Loder, ZJ, Vincent Simodian, Marty is Officer Gleason, and I am Zen Buddhist. And with that, we will see you guys next week. Insidia is a fast-paced tactical game that blends elements of MOBAs, tactics, chess, and maybe even a little Borderlands in terms of the wasteland aesthetics. The free-to-play game recently released, but it's been around for quite a while thanks to Early Access. I've been playing it on and off again, and while there were some issues that I hope will be addressed post-launch later on there's still quite a bit to love about the game as well as to be excited for now the biggest issue that i have if we can get that out of the way immediately is the team and map diversity which is to say there really isn't enough The map looks great, don't get me wrong, but there's just one. And as of this review, there are 10 champions to choose from. While this is better than earlier in the game's early access period, it's still a far cry for most MOBAs and a little low for a tactics game of this sort. We need that variety, not just for ourselves, but for our opponents, lest duels become entirely predictable. And they are sold on an esports for this game, so we we should see... A lot more uh, players coming later on. So that is good news. Team compositions are integral to the combo system Bad Seeds develop for Insidia. Simply put, your four-player team gets summoned onto the map, wherein they have to first control a point, which then results in a cannon taking down some gates, and from there you can storm the interiors and win the objective. It's a simple concept, as MOBAs are, but the devil's in the details, and gameplay, when played tactically, results in some very interesting combinations, as you only get one move per play, not Per character per play, but per play. Your unused champions will use their passive abilities themselves, and therein lies the game's unseen depth. Like a strong ocean undercurrent that'll send you off to your death, there's something both dangerous and beautiful about watching a Gunther tank pull someone towards him right into Neyma's long-range sights for a kill. The game's aesthetics, as previously mentioned, remind me of Borderlands, minus the cell shading, right down to the various skins. And each champion has a fairly rich bio that you could find in the character select screen, which adds to the game's lore. Games are fairly quick whether playing versus AI or other folks, thanks to the simultaneous gameplay. Both you and your opponent actually play at the same time, the resolution playing out afterward, which sometimes leads to some pleasant or unpleasant surprises. Imagine playing chess and both you and your opponent move your pieces at the same time when the timer dings. You have to try to anticipate your opponent's movements far more than in a traditional turn-based game. And I love that. Much like other games which attempt to insert RNG into their games, an example being Golem Gates that I discussed last week, playing at the same time throws some user-created RNG into the mix, and this results in a very rewarding gameplay experience in my opinion. The game is free to play, though does have a couple of packs to choose from if you want to support them. Bad Seed sent me out a Founders pack to mess around with, and if the game is up your alley, I highly suggest picking it up.
0: Thank you for listening to For The Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at manellijamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.